Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. After a long hiatus, we are finally back with our series podcast, as it is that time of the year, folks. October is here, which means Halloween is upon us, and I will be doing nothing but watching horror movies this entire month for this podcast, or regardless, minus the new releases. Uh, And because of that, I thought it would be the perfect time to come back and finish off my favorite horror franchise. But before we get to that, I'm joined today, and for the rest of this series... Well, one of my favorite people in the world and someone whom I am blessed to call one of my best friends, Adam Dickens. How you doing, man? What's up, bud? Doing well? Good, good. Um, so for those unfamiliar with Dickens, uh, he joined me on the Screen Podcast last year because he loves this franchise about as much as I do. And I would feel like this series would be incomplete if he didn't join me. So I'm glad to have you back on, man. Definitely, man. Definitely glad to be here. Scream is definitely my favorite horror franchise and definitely honored to be part back on it, a part of this helping you. So thanks for having me. Of course, man. Wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, so before we move on to our, our film this week, I want to do a little recap of the first Scream movie and our thoughts on that for people who haven't listened to that episode that we did, which if you haven't, you should totally go back uh, and listen to it to hear us go more in depth on it. Uh, so Dickens, what, what are your general thoughts on the first Scream movie? Well, as we, uh, as we discussed in the first podcast, um, it's not only my favorite horror film, but it's, it's definitely up there in regards to a film that I enjoy watching on the regular. So um, overall Scream is a very well-written by Kevin Williamson and just did a very good job of catching the audience and um, revamp, revamping the horror genre with Wes Craven. Um, Cause for a while there, you know, horror was on the downslopes and um, I believe scream gave it that forward momentum going into the late nineties. Um, as we saw with a lot of new horror movies coming out during that time. Um, yeah. Which follows up with scream too. So, yeah, it's and, and I'm going to quote myself. I'm, I'm similar to you, like from that episode, I'm going to actually quote myself from it. And I said, I'm floored by just how original and refreshing this movie was the first time I watched it. The horror genre was all but gone and, and overdone by 1996 with so many sequels and retreads of like the Freddy and Jason movies and the Michael Myers movies. But this gym really reinvigorated it by poking fun at all the ridiculous rules and tropes that genre genre had and turning them on their head while also still paying homage to those things that make slasher movies slasher movies i it, it perfectly blends the horror and comedy genre making it a classic film that has really stood the test of time uh and i said if you can't tell i love this movie and it still is true i i re-watched it um, prior to watching the second movie and it's a as a damn good movie like mm-hmm. it, it is about as perfect as a horror movie as you can get it's not the scariest one but it's certainly my favorite yeah i just love all the all the twist and the you know red herring things that go on and scream you know mm-hmm. thinking it's somebody and it's a little too obvious that might be that person so it's not that person then it ends up being that person anyway yeah. kind of thing so 
Um, something interesting that I did um, here recently, probably about a month or two ago, is I watched Scream 3, 2, and then 1 in that order. Never done wow. that before, so it was very interesting to do that. And then um, about two weeks ago, I watched Scream 4 for the first time in a while. And um, I definitely, watching Scream 3 and 4 since I did my first podcast with you, I look at it a little differently. Um and some of the research I've done on it. And I'm sure we'll talk about Scream 3 a little bit and what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Kevin Williamson was supposed to write it. And um, I looked at it through a different lens, especially Scream 3. And um, I actually kind of found myself really enjoying it. Um, Not so more the kills and stuff. And uh, I guess like the, the, the dialogue and the scenes, but I really enjoyed the, story. the final twist at the end yeah. being her brother, even though that wasn't the original story. But anyway, yeah, oh yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get to Scream Three, you know, next week, and then the next week Scream Four, which is a movie I've only seen twice, but I remember being quite a big fan of it, and I, I defend it. But again, I've only seen it twice. I know some people aren't as as big of a fan of it, so I can't wait to actually sit and, and rewatch that. Uh, but yes, uh, but yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoy the first scream and what it, it really became and how, it, like you said, it had that, you know, kind of triple twist where you think the boyfriend's the killer. Then all of a sudden it's proven that he's not. Then all of a sudden it, he is the killer. And it, it it's that triple twist that gets you. And I think it's the it's not only the horror aspect that draws me into the Scream franchise, but it's also the mystery aspect of it all that draws me in as well. Because it's not just a horror movie, it's a mystery. Uh, and it, it, it's clever, too. It's not just blood and guts and every character's stupid. In particular, Sidney Prescott is probably my favorite hero or heroine in uh, any horror film. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, and to kind of follow up on that, I don't really want to stray away from Scream 2, but um, here recently I've been watching some, I guess, some video updates on the new Scream coming out. and um, Shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was, man. Tax breaks. Wilmington's <laughs> a new place to do it. Yep. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see if this new Scream takes a different approach, and that's something that I have – listen to on some of these um these video updates but a lot of these people talk about the mystery part like you you were just mentioning and how you almost go on a ride through the whole movie because you're trying to figure out who the killer is Mm -hmm. but and like people don't want don't want to get spoiled because they want to be involved and figure out during the movie and be shocked um so i respect that a lot about the movies and stuff too and um Screen two definitely has some controversy around it with, with all the leaks that happened. And yeah, um, this was like one of the first, first big leaks that that happened on the internet, which happens almost semi regularly now. Um, yep. But before we get to all that, um, now that we kind of got our f- refresher out of the way, and again, if you want to uh, get our full thoughts on the original, I highly suggest going back and listening to that episode. It's one of the most fun episodes I've ever done. Um, we're going to do Scream 2. We're going to move on to that. Uh, if you aren't familiar with Scream 2, the plot synopsis reads like such according to Google. And this is my first time reading this too. 
Sydney and the tabloid reporter Gail Weathers survive the events of the first scream, but their nightmare isn't over. When two college students are murdered at a sneak preview of Stab, a movie based on the events in the first film, which is genius, by the way, it's a clear copycat killer is on the loose. Sydney and Gail, as we follow, uh, as well as fellow survivors Deputy Dewey and Randy, have to find out who is behind the new murder spree before they all end up dead. Uh, this, of course, is a follow-up to one of the most influential horror films ever made. Scream really encaps- encapsulates the 90s in a lot of ways, but really the horror genre of that decade, too. It's it's a tall task uh, to expect any movie to reach this you know the same level of influence or even match it. Uh, Scream 2 tried to do it under extreme circumstances because it was coming just under a year after the first movie with December 20th being or December 20th, 1996 being the release date of scream. And then December 12th, 1997 being the release date of scream two coming out. Yeah. Coming out just a week before Titanic and James Bond. Um, So Dickens, when was the first time you saw scream two and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? If I remember correctly from the first episode that we did, this is the first screen movie you saw, right? Yeah. Um, it was. Yep, I, I was probably nine, eight or nine, probably. Um, and I was, I was at my dad's friend's house spending the night with his son, who's my age, and um, he had they had it on VHS. Do and, I know uh, this friend? No. No. Oh. And um. And so we watched that. Um, it was rated R. My dad's my dad's friend told me if I told my parents that I watched this, that he he wouldn't let me come spend the night anymore. But um, <laughs> but he but he would let us watch monster movies and scary movies when we were all little kids. And um, so it was very I don't know when I watched it. It was just something about it. I just enjoyed like I, like you said the mystery aspect of it. Um, so yeah, I was I was fairly young. I watched this one first, and when I liked this movie, and I got a little bit older, that's when I started really watching the screen movies and what they were really all about. As I grew a little older and could understand stuff like that, and um, like I said, just fell in love with the with the with the trilogy at the time, and then the Scream Four came a little later. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, the franchise I just really enjoyed. But, yeah, nice. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's funny you say because I, I remember saying the first time I saw the first Scream movie was 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 actually with my cousins and my my uh, siblings where my grandmother let uh, it was my oldest sister and my two older cousins rent Scream and she let me uh, my older brother and my other older sister uh, rent like a more appropriate movie for us. And when we all went to bed that night, we all slept in the same room. They turned on scream for us. And so I got to see the first scream when I was probably four or five. (laughs) I was so, I was so young. Probably Um, not right for the, for the children's mind. No, but at the same time, like I I wasn't really scared by it. I was mostly just saying, I was mostly just having fun with, I thought it was so, so cool watching it with my uh, older cousins and siblings being the youngest at the time in the family, but I, good memories. But 
the first time I saw Scream 2, it was actually, it was with my dad, it was with my mom and my two sisters. Uh, um, after my oldest sister took me to Blockbuster to rent a couple movies. And this was around the time where I was really starting to get into horror movies. And I always remember watching the first one. And because it was my first horror movie and I, and I loved it, I thought it was wonderful. And I always, you know, always wanting to see the second one, but never really getting the chance slash my mom wouldn't let me rent it when we go to Blockbuster. And for good reason, I was pretty young. <laughs> Um, and she did not know I had seen the first one. Um, but on the fateful Sunday in October, my oldest sister became the coolest big sister ever by letting me pick out, pick that out and, and rent it. And I just loved it. Uh, for some reason, this one scared me a little bit more than the first one, which is weird because I'm older. Um, again, not the same type of scared as something like the exorcist, um, which traumatized me, but, but, this one it got me. I watch it now, and honestly, I think this is this is kind of as perfect as a sequel as you can possibly get. You know, uh, sure it doesn't quite match the first, but that's that's a tall task. Uh, much like the first one, this this pokes fun of the horror movies and their tropes, but it never gets to the point to where it's it's a comedy. There's still a lot of fear to be had, and the movie does a really good job of separating that. Um. This is one. This one does, however, take aim at horror sequels in particular, which very rarely live up to the first ones, in my opinion. There's a couple that are better than the first ones, but it's it's few and far between. There's a lot of bad horror sequels. It also tackles a whole, you know, tried and beat to death argument that movies create violence, which is, you know, this movie clearly has a strong and, in my opinion, the right take on. Uh, but again, while this movie isn't as pitch perfect as the original, uh, it's still a worthy sequel that I enjoy almost as much, uh, with some parts even being maybe even a little tad better. Um, some mm-hmm. parts, not all, but some parts. Right. But I, I do love the movie. Same. I, I couldn't agree more. I love the fact that they that it's a horror sequel and they talk about how bad horror sequels are yeah <laughs> um one in particular the classroom scene after the first murders yep. and they're all sitting there talking one of my favorite scenes is hilarious and it being evolved around jamie kennedy um i'm sure we'll talk about this later but randy i think he does a very i think he does better in the second one than he does the first one he does he's great in both but as a movie nerd he's my favorite character you know, I mean, aside from Sydney, of course, like he is my favorite character. He's the one that I connect with the most. He knows the most about the movies. He's always kind of one step ahead of, of, or maybe in step with the killers. I don't know if he's one step ahead, but he's in step with them. And it sucks to see him go in this movie and we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. he's great in this. Yeah. Cause he's, he's kind of, the, the thing about the Scream franchise that's awesome is they have a movie nerd in there that reference horror movies. So he's aware of the situation and it makes it clever. And us as an audience, it allows us to attach ourselves to him and his thoughts versus we're just seeing people react and it's it's not as it doesn't feel as relatable or as real. Yeah. Um, 
But generally, most people do agree on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, on this movie because the Rotten Tomatoes score for for this movie it sits higher than the first one actually with eighty one percent. With the consensus being, as the first film, Screen Two is a gleeful takedown of scary movie conventions that manages to poke fun at terrible horror sequels without falling victim to the same fate. Now, what I will say with this, uh, I, I I do think it's interesting if you look at the the fan score. This is pretty low. It's like fifty six, fifty seven percent. Versus the first scream, which is pretty high. Um, do you? Is there a reason for that? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, you're always. I mean, horror is always gonna. I think lag when it comes to scores. Um, versus like a drama that is nothing but dialogue and stuff. Yeah. Um, in my personal opinion, the eighty-one percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Is worthy, yeah. In my opinion, um, yeah. but for the fan score, I mean, it's just it's it's hard to find people that might like this, that might like Scream. That how we like it may not represent how they like it, kind of thing. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow, and it, it's like um, I don't know. It, it's once people get very attached to things, it's hard to live up to mm-hmm. what their expectations are. It's similar mm-hmm. to how when people read the book before they see the movie, it's hard to top what you've already thought in your brain as being perfect. Yeah. You know, you know that's that's tough to do. Uh, and with this movie and the script leaking early. And everyone knowing what was going on and everything like that, it can kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. However, like if you talk to most horror fans that were harsh on this movie when it came out, their tone is a little bit different now. Um, considering they see the third movie and they seen the fourth movie, they're like, actually, this one's actually pretty good. And you know, I think once your expectations get taken out of it then you're more likely to just ingest what the movie's trying to be instead of what you want it to be, which is why I always feel like you should judge movies is what it's trying to be. Does it succeed at what it's trying to be versus what I want it to be? Does it succeed at what I want it to be? Because the story is not, it's, it is not the director or the writer producers, the actor's job to give you what you want. It is their job to give the best product that they want to deliver. Uh, and it's up to us to decide whether we like it or not. Yep. Um, but I, I do agree with the score being around at 81. That's pretty high for a horror movie. Uh, horrors or comedies, if they're that high, that generally means they're very good. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think I would probably give the first scream a almost perfect score. This one, I would, I would probably, probably around a, a B minus, probably around a 90, 89, somewhere in there. Not as good, but it's, it's good. I, I, I love watching this movie. Yeah. Um, something I always you say about the first two screams, which in my opinion, and I think yours too, stand alone by themselves, 
and then it's kind of screen three or four below those screen yeah. one and two will always have that that those top two unless this new one that's coming out is going to intervene but yeah. um what i say about screen one and two is i like the process from the beginning to the end of screen two but the reveal of who's the killer in scream is more iconic in scream two yeah i'm sure we'll talk about it later but that's one reason. One of the reasons I don't like Scream Two is I feel the reveal of the killers is kind of lackluster. I felt they could have put a little bit more effort into who who they were, and I know they had all the leaks and stuff, and they had an idea in place, but um, I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was very lackluster. Well, there's something scarier about, and again, a little bit more real about how there are two you know high school kids that have planned this out mm-hmm. versus a mom who's just seeking revenge yep. um, and, and, and a person that got his tuition paid that's that's the thing that yeah. does it doesn't make sense and got his tuition paid to go she found a serial killer on the internet (laughs) all all the residency issues and um like where did this guy go to high school did you not have to provide a high school transcript to get into college like how does this psychopath just get tuition (laughs) dollars from this lady he don't know on psychos.com to go to school and nobody knows about this guy yeah (laughs) like i keep up he bypasses all admission to get into this prestigious college. And not once is he questioned. He just, people think he's a normal dude. Well, he is. uh, Randy does call him out for being the freaky Tarantino film student. Yeah. Uh, Which I like, and I do like him as Ghostface, And I think his motivations again is a little bit scarier which is he just wants the fame Mm -hmm. again, bringing into question, is it the movies that influence violence or is it the constant reporting on the violence and the glorification? And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that too. Um, But yeah. Yeah. I like, let me rephrase. I like the idea of what he was and what his, his goals were as a killer, but and the reality of it on the other end where we as audience are watching there there was a few missed opportunities there yeah, yeah i mean they could have done a little bit more digging or a little bit more character character development on mickey um yeah because he goes but, away for like the a lot of the middle of the movie yeah and you almost forget about him if you haven't seen it before yeah which i mean can be good in some aspects because you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that guy. He's the killer, and he's doing it just because he's 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 just a psycho and wants to be wants to be famous because of it. He wants the trial, yeah, because uh, this is coming yeah. right off the OJ. It's, it's all about the trial. <laughs> he wants this is coming right off the OJ trial. So like he, mm-hmm. he this is in the '90s. He wants the big trial. Uh, yep. And everything like that, but yeah, this one does with with the killer's reveal. It, it's not as impactful. And again, I love Stu in the first movie, mm-hmm. and and 
it's up in the air what his motivations were exactly. And, yep. and I hope maybe he comes back and scream five, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's a long shot, man. Uh, crossing my fingers, man. I'm crossing my fingers. Which we'll talk about in Scream 3 because that was the original idea for Scream 3. It was. But we'll save that for next week. Yes. But let's move on to some fun facts here. So Kevin Williamson uh, had the idea for the sequel while writing the script for Scream, discovering there was more to the story. This movie began principal photography just six months after the release of Scream, and it was released less than a year after its predecessor. So that means... It began, this movie, the original movie was released in December, let's see, December, January, February, March, April, May. They started shooting this in May of 1997, and it was released in December of 1997. That is a quick turnaround, which I get, it's a horror movie, there's not a lot of VFX, but like, still, you you have, you have your casting, you have your location, you have your script, like... There is a lot of stuff that goes into that. So this was a pretty quick turnaround. And for the fact that they were able to get the script leak that happened and then rewrite it as they were shooting and for this movie to be as good as it is, is a miracle. Yeah, I agree. That that movie making in general is is a miracle that anything is good. But like... I can't... I, I can't imagine getting a screen movie... And then less than a year later, getting a new one. I mean, I've been waiting for this new one to come out for three years. Yeah. And it's, and it's finally about to happen, but is well, obviously they had COVID and all that stuff too. that kind of put a wrench in the works, but getting, uh, getting two screams back to back, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. As like as like a teenager who likes the movies. Well, it's like doing infinity war and Endgame. Yep, exactly. But for horror movies, you know, so that, that that that's really really cool how they were able to do that. Definitely, shows you uh, how good Kevin and Wes are. Yeah, Wes Craven uh, was and is a, a legend. Um, the cast were not informed of the identity of the killer until the last day of principal photography. Also, the cast did not receive the last ten pages of the shooting script until it was time to the film uh, the scenes contained therein. Furthermore, the last 10 pages of the shooting script were printed on gray paper in order to deter illicit uh, duplications of them. All cast members were required to sign confidentiality clauses as part of their respective contracts that uh, precluded them from discussing the outcome of the story and the killer's identity. Uh, that makes sense that they went to that great a links to hide all that stuff, considering the amount of leaks that came out. I was just listening to the documentary prior to recording this. It's one of a couple that are out uh, where Wes Craven talks about how he was sent the script and then later that night it was out. Like it was out on the web and then one of the scripts were correct. And we'll get to what that script was later and who the actual killers were and everything that transpired in that. Um, That's pretty lengthy though. But again, that's something that happens with a lot of movies these days. Especially nowadays. Um, 
you know, with social media and everyone just having access to the internet now. Um, and I even heard on the new film, they had to do the same thing. They had to have like 10 different story endings. So, so the actors didn't know what, who the killer was and could potentially spoil the, the ending of it. Well, yeah. And like, it's amazing that with this screen movie, we haven't had many leaks. Like, all the stuff that's come out from it has been the one set photo that was shot. Like it's it involved a police car. It was somewhere in downtown Wilmington. It looked like, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. Again, I keep saying that the screen five is shooting in Wilmington, but I just think that's awesome. Yeah. Someone who loves Wilmington and is from North Carolina one of my favorite horror franchises is shooting there. It's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, Robert Rodriguez directed the scenes of stab the movie within a movie. Rodriguez directed the Casey Becker scene and the Sydney and Billy scene. This is awesome. I didn't know this until doing research. Uh, do you know who Robert Rodriguez is? I know what I was going to ask. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is the director of the uh, El Mariachi uh, films. He, it's El Mariachi, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He did Spy Kids, oh, yeah. all those movies. My, oh, okay. yeah. my favorite, uh, one of my favorite films of 2007, Grindhouse. He directed the first half of that with Planet Terror. Um, he's awesome. I love Robert yeah. Rodriguez. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that, now that you mentioned those movies, I know who you're talking about now. But, um, but yeah, the stab thing, man, the movie within a movie, I thought was super cool. And something I wish they would have done was actually released stab to you know, <laughs> the audience to see what it could have been like with other actors. Because, you know, Luke Wilson's in there. Um, Heather Graham, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. and um, Tori Spelling. Spelling. Yep. <laughs> man i mean that would have been pretty cool to watch like if it was like a, a underground kind of clip and you i mean like a terrible like a purposely terrible 90s like horror movie mm-hmm. which is what it easily could have become if it had not been written by a clever writer and directed yeah. by one of the greatest horror directors ever and Wes craven um but yeah, the, the scenes we get from Stab are particularly like great, and it kind of shows the B movie, like the level of B movie that Robert Rodriguez can direct. You know those movies that are like perfectly like not good, but they're they're so not good that it's really good. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it, how would you mean? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a movie that you didn't like, and we've discussed uh, Malignant. you hated it i really loved it (laughs) yeah i watched it with with my brother and halfway through i mean because james wan yeah james wan horror film hey you gotta watch that but halfway through we were like let's turn this off this (laughs) i didn't we didn't like it um okay so originally scheduled to this movie was originally scheduled to open alongside tomorrow never dies and titanic but both blockbusters shifted their dates so not to be pitted against this movie that tell that should tell you 
just how big of a cultural impact Scream had. Mm-hmm. It it caught the pop cultural zeitgeist, like it, it caught it, and was just running wild. Like I I remember even as a kid seeing the the ghost face costumes, which I as an adult still have a ghost face costume. Um, in the house, and it it just should tell you how big this movie was, or how big this movie, how big they thought this movie was going to be, and and how much of a, a hold it had on the pop cultural uh, zeitgeist. Because this movie came out, like it was about to be pitted against a James Bond movie and a James Cameron movie, and they shifted mm-hmm. dates to avoid it. Which again, Titanic became the highest grossing movie of all time for several years until avatar dethroned it and is still the number three movie of all time. So that should tell you just how big this, this, this movie was. Yeah. And not, not only that, I mean, you're releasing a horror film in December. Yeah. And you know, it was so big that these two movies said, let's back off and do another date. So, because they knew, I guess they knew Scream Two was going to get their their audience in the doors because how successful the first one was. So that's very iconic that that happened to Wes Craven's movie. Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and it's it's pretty cool when once you think about it. After the first draft of the script was leaked on the internet, several changes had to be made. And the characters were fully re- rewritten. Uh, Dewey had re- originally transferred himself from Woodsboro Police to security staff on campus, so he could close, so he could be close to Sydney and keep her safe. <laughs> Randy was originally Gail's new cameraman, and Joel was a med student and friends with Sydney. Derek was the film student shooting a documentary who walked around with the camera, not Mickey. Debbie Salt was more aggressive and bitchy, as in one scene she asked Sydney if she finally uh, snapped and if she's the one doing the killings, being punched in the face by Gail as a result. The scene in which Sydney slaps Gail never happens, Mickey was the one who sang in the cafeteria to uh, Haley, not Sydney, and a different song, I Will Always Love You, was used. The killer, uh, the killers, I should say, were Derek, Haley, Debbie Salt, and before uh, she can shoot, uh, or excuse me, Loomis ends up shooting Derek and Haley, but then gets stabbed by Cotton before she can shoot Sydney and Gail. Cotton seemingly has a change of heart and decides to uh, to get even with Sydney and Gail, uh, Sydney and Gail, as he considers them responsible for ruining his life. He stabs and kills Gail, and then runs after Sydney. Kevin Williamson stopped the writing there, but left some notes in the script, stating, "That's all I've written so far," and then describes a few words of how the story was supposed to end. Cotton and Sydney would eventually stab each other and die lying side by side. At this point, Williamson probably intended to end the franchise with this movie. How does this version of the movie, if it's indeed real, 
like how does this how does this sound to you is it a good ending is it better than what we got is it less than what we got what do you think um i definitely don't like the fact that sydney would die in scream mm-hmm. 2 and it'd be over yeah no cuz um you can't kill sydney man sydney yeah this horror franchise is too iconic just to end at Scream 2. Yeah. I mean, but then Scream 3 and Scream 4 were kind of lackluster. But um, I don't know. I'll, I think it would have been a little better if uh, Derek and Hallie had been the um, been the two killers with Debbie Salt, which is Billy's bomb. And, um, but the whole Cotton stuff, I, I really like Cotton. I like Live, uh, Live Schreiber is that his name? Yeah, Liv Schreiber. He, I like. He's a good actor. I like him. I like. Yeah, I love him as an actor, and I even wish he was in Scream Three more. Um, but I really enjoyed Cotton scenes in Scream Two, so I wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't really have been on board if he had kind of switched his motive after the killers were dead, just to get back at Sydney and ruin. I mean, yeah, his life was kind of ruined, but he was getting more more fame from, I guess, ruining his life and having that, that tagline that he killed uh, Sydney's mom. And he, he, he ended up getting famous off that. And so did Gail Weathersgate, in a way, um, when, when she wrote the books and stuff. But, um, And this is another situation where I kind of wish they – they did have this version so we could see what it, what it would have been like. Yeah. It's almost like a, um, a, a Wes Craven cut of, mm-hmm. of screen two, or like kind of like playing on the Snyder cut thing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you something I've always wondered in, in it, in it, in it ties to this stuff. And I really see it with cotton and with Derek with, you know, Derek being one of the killers originally, they focus on him a lot in the beginning of the movie. They don't really talk about Mickey a lot. And, um, and they focus a lot on cotton too. Mm. That whole scene in the library with cotton. And they even show the boots like they did with the police Mm -hmm. sheriff in the, uh, the first movie. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if, if they, if they purposely did that and reshot those to make it seem like, or if those were the original scenes and they were setting it up to end this way. Um, but that's something we'll never know because we never got to see the other version and yeah. what the version should have been. I doubt they ever shot this, especially because it leaked on the internet so fast. And if you listen to Wes Craven talk about it, he was really pissed off that it got late leaked. Oh, yeah. Uh, really mad. And uh, so... He did not think it was funny, did not think it was cool, and rightfully so. And they had to change the entire movie because of that. And they were kind of rewriting the script as they were shooting it. So I highly doubt they even shot this. Which plays into our, 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 our next fun fact here. A leaked version of the script prior to filming ended with the killers being Derek and Haley. The script is still widely available and frequently noted in, in movies trivia. However, screenwriter Kevin Williamson revealed in 2017 that the leaked script, leaked script excuse me, contains a dummy ending specifically because they were worried about leaks. The Derek and Haley ending was available to the cast 
and crew prior to shooting, but was always intended to be switched out for a different ending. Uh, I liked Derek and Haley. I, I do think having Derek as a killer would have been too much of a retread mm-hmm. of the first movie. And I like the fact that Derek is indeed not the killer. And there's some wet red herrings, but in the movie that suggests that he is, but it, it adds to, to Sydney's character and her character arc that he is indeed not the killer. Um, and I think that that's great for Sydney, our main protagonist throughout this entire series, that he is not. Um, I think it would have been cool to to have uh, Haley as a killer, but again, like I kind of like Haley as a character in terms of being a really good friend to Sydney. So I, I don't know if I would would have really liked that because she was a really good fr- she was a ride or die friend for Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed her, too, as, I don't know, I just couldn't see her doing something like that, but I guess that's the point of Scream anyway, is all the red herrings and stuff, and you're thinking somebody's not the killer, and they end up being the killer, which happens in Scream 4, but we'll talk about that in a few weeks. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, I really wish we could see what would have been, although, I mean, Scream 2, the way it is now. Is iconic in itself. So, yeah, I, I like the way that Scream Two ended. I like the killer's choices. I wish it might have or would have been done a little bit better. Yeah, but in general, I do appreciate the homages it's clearly paying, and the social commentary that it's making too. But we'll never know. Nope. But guys, before we get to our award section, we're going to take a quick break to let you hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor. Thank you over here at uh, Ben Davis Movie Podcast. We really appreciate that. But we're going to move on to our award section, and we're going to start off with favorite scenes and moments. And for number one, I have the opening kill. Dickens, what are what are your thoughts on the opening kill? Like just in general, the entire scene. There's a there's a lot that goes into this sequence. I'm going to tell you my thoughts on it, but I'm going to ask you something about it first. Okay. I'm going to bounce it back to you. Have Have you noticed? What doesn't happen in the opening kill in Scream 2 that happens in Scream? There's no no phone call. That, but there's, you don't hear Ghostface talk at all. That's true. You don't hear Ghostface talk at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there is no phone call. Yep. So that's something that I think would have been really cool. Um, Well, I mean, I guess you do kind of hear him in the bathroom stall, but it's not Roger Jackson talking. No, it's it's a I'll be good, mommy. I'll be good kind of conversation. And it sounds, it sounds, just it sounds, look- it sounds really bad, but if you know if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> like you you hear Omar Epps listening in, and he's just like kind of laughing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I have questions about. But yeah, but, you know um, the the biggest the biggest thing that stands out to me. Tickets are seven fifty. 
Is that what they said in there? Yeah, for a premiere night, seven dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, what is it now? At twelve dollars? Oh God, yeah, it's like twelve bucks. Yeah, then you got to get your popcorn and all that stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, the opening kill for Scream Two, I think, you know, it's it's definitely clever. You know, um, you know, Omar Omar Epps takes a blade right to the freaking ear. Yeah, um, it's brutal. Very, very painful. Um, Which, like, how would he cut through? He, I mean, he, probably, you'd have to have so much force. There's no way uh, a blade's going to go through that stall. Yeah. Um. So much force you'd have to have. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I, I enjoy the opening kill a lot, and um, you know, knowing knowing what you know in the movie and you go back and watch it, you know, with all the copycat stuff and, you know, him having the word Steve in his name and mm-hmm. the girl was named Maureen. And so they were paying homage to the, the original scream, which was cool. And, um, but yeah, I, I definitely was, I'm definitely always waiting to hear Roger Jackson's voice in the opening kill. Cause you do, cause you hear it in every yeah. other movie. And it's never um, there. It's never there. And, um, but Omar Epps and Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith um, do a great acting job, in my opinion. Yeah, they're um, only in the movie for a few minutes, but they're 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 great while they're in it. And I love the dialogue and the commentary on people mm-hmm. of color being largely unrepresented in the horror genre up to this point. Um, and if they are, they usually die. And, and their commentary on that. Um, the thing, my biggest takeaway also, or one of my biggest takeaways, I should say, is the movie theater is so rambunctious, dude. Like, could you imagine being in a opening night and people are running around while the movie is going? I would be so pissed. Yes. Like. I would leave, and I would ask yes. for my refund. <laughs> like, yes. I want my money back. I cannot agree more. Um, it even drives me crazy when people are on their phones in the movie theaters. Yeah, well, and... like we've been to. Like, I've been to the opening nights of like the the Force Awakens, the the Last Jedi, the Rise Endgame. of Skywalker, Endgame. Like That's I was there loud. for the loud yeah. and great theater uh a great theater experience but this is there's a fine line that you have to walk between like an amped up theater and an overly amped up theater and this is the overly amped up yeah where you just want to leave yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely with jada pinkett smith maureen in the movie um (laughs) she does not want to be there everybody is in her face and running around and acting like they're Killing people with fake knives, and which which plays into the kills a little later um, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Phil and Marine, and um, but yeah, if it, if people are running down like that and screaming while I'm trying to watch a movie, I'd be so pissed off. I would be too, man. It's obnoxious because like it's understandable if it's like a rewatch of like a of a, of a like a. a uh, one of those movies, like a like a like a 
uh, a Rocky Horror Picture Show, like a cult classic like that, where people have seen the movie a thousand times or The Room. But this is like an advanced screening. Like, this behavior should not be taking place. But I do love the movie within the movie stab. It's it's ridiculously terrible and it's troping, you know, everything Scream would have been had it been terrible. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I really love it. Again, we, we mentioned it. Phil's death is very brutal, like a knife straight up to the ear. Uh, Marine's death, I think, is incredible. Incredibly brutal. Mm. I argue it's even worse than Casey's. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely up there. Because, um, you know, being stabbed sucks. <laughs> although, <laughs> although I wouldn't know. Um, but I just can't imagine. And, you know, they say it uh, later in the movie, and it happens to be the killer that says it too. He's, they said that she was stabbed so it was seven times or 17 times. It was seven times or seven like times. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, and then he slices her back at her upper spine at one point. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's, very, very brutal, but nobody saw it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's the thing. It's like, she just gets stabbed and you see this sea of people cheering, like cheering on the killing and the move, like the actual movie movie. Meanwhile, you have someone screaming for help. Who's actually getting murdered. Uh, and then, of course, her scream on stage is incredibly haunting. Like where she yeah. crawls up the thing, and it's just like it's incredibly chilling because you, you see fake violence on screen in contrast to real in the in contrast to the real violence that's going on. Which you know the movie is clearly stating like there is a difference. And it's the brilliance of the movie. There is a difference between killing on screen and killing in, um, like, in real life. There's a difference, you know. And it's kind of the stance the movies movies taking on does real does movie violence influence real life violence? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney calling out the guy. For prank calling her. What are your thoughts on that? Um, not something that really stands out to me. Um, you know, at that point in the movie, uh, I mean, Sydney's is obviously traumatized from the events of the first movie. Yeah. But in her mind, I'm assuming she's thinking at that point in time that this will never happen again. She has no um, reasoning to believe that, you know, the, the two guys that butchered her mom are dead. She's in college now, has a new boyfriend, has a great friend in um, Allie. Um, she has, again, she's probably traumatized of what happened, but I, she's probably not thinking that this is going to happen again. So when somebody um, calls her on a prank, she's probably just thinking this is one of my friends just pranking me because the movie was coming out and, um, as seen in later screen movies, Scream 4, for example, they have what's called a Ghostface app. And you can talk like Ghostface through your phone. So, um, but yeah, not really something that sticks out to me. Um, and the caller ID thing, too. Caller ID was, <laughs> was on the rise, I guess, at that point. 
Yeah, like, well, the reason I put this on here was for one reason and one reason alone. There is a Freddy sweater that's chilling in the room, hanging. And I thought it was just super awesome. Because Wes Craven directed Nightmare on Elm Street, and then, of course, he directed New Nightmare. I've never noticed that. Mm Mm-hmm. We're just chilling in the corner. It's a Freddy sweater. Wow. And he's also wearing the sweater in the first screen. Yep. He plays the janitor. Yep. In the cameo. It's really, really cool. What'd you say to me? (laughs) (laughs) What'd you say to me now? (laughs) Um, Film theory class. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier. I love the discussion. A ridiculous discussion that we're still having in regards to movies causing, you know, terrible things. Uh, I think people should be held accountable for their own actions and are responsible for their actions. I don't think other people, you know, having it in their movies is, is responsible. Also, the discussion of sequels is, is quite fun. I think. Yep. Um, I, I, I will say to completely disagree with Randy on the turn uh, uh, in regards to his opinions on sequels that they're lesser than just by just by uh, definition i'd say in the horror genre that's mostly correct but mm-hmm. not always um but when it comes to standalone films uh, sequels can be you know better than the original in fact i think many are you know you have the empire strikes back you have the dark knight you have i think uh, pretty much everything in the in the MCU is a sequel to itself, and there are better versions of those movies. And yeah, once I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's two. Yeah, I mean, there's two mentioned in that classroom: T two mm-hmm. and the Godfather Part Two. Yep, and I do think T two is better than Terminator. And Absolutely. yeah, Terminator. Terminator 2 is my favorite action movie ever made. And then uh, uh, Godfather Part 2, I think, is better than Godfather Part 1. So, yeah, like there there are some that do stand out. Yep. Um, is there anything in particular that sticks out to this scene to you? Well, anything Randy's involved in is classic. Um, yep. I really love what he does in the second movie. Um, but, yeah. Just the dialogue in the classroom, and there's there's obviously a few intelligent people in there when it comes to movies. Um, CC, um, mm-hmm. Mickey, Randy, and then the cameo Joshua Jackson. Yep, Joshua Jackson from the Mighty Ducks. Um, although he gets kind of shitted on by everybody else in the classroom because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> but this is yeah, this is one of my favorite. Uh, scenes in the movie because um, like you said it's just they're, they're talking about stuff that we would talk about like, yep. it's, it's very real um, they're talking about the sequels and stuff but um, yeah when he finally says um, Mr. Reality what would, you, what would you change I let the geek get the girl which is funny because that's become kind of the norm now yep the 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 geek always gets the girl and the normal guy is usually the jock stereotype that is 
that is the douchebag. Yep. So, that that's kind of become the norm now, which we'll see if that changes once we get to uh once we get to Scream Five. You know what? I love this about Scream. I don't really want to jump ahead to Scream Four because I know we'll get to that. But they they literally will do stuff and then they'll do it in later movies. Let mm-hmm. the geek get the girl, who's one of the killers in, in the fourth Scream. One of the geeks. One of the geeks. So that's that's yeah. just that's just something I love about the Scream franchises. They're always one upping things and um paying homage to former stuff, even from other movies. So Yeah. Dewey goes off on Gale. Do you have anything to add on this? I just really love it. It's I mean, it's pretty funny. It's definitely pretty funny. Um, well, what's, what's funny about it is like he's he's being serious, but he's not coming across as serious. Yeah. He just seems so goofy. Yep, Deputy Dewey. Yeah. And it's so funny because like she is, you know, as tough as nails, you know, and then he's essentially the only person that can kind of cut through to her. Yeah. Which I like. And then, you know, he can't even leave on a harsh note. He has to leave with the compliment, which is the nice streaks. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because they were they were married in real life. That's right. And um, yeah, just a scene that, like I said, it makes me laugh. Because yeah, Dewey's trying to act all tough and mad, but you just you just feel <laughs> for the guy. Yeah, <laughs> he, I mean, like you could you could tell he loves Gail and um, would do anything for her, but I feel like she loves her work more than anybody. Yeah, Dave Matthews Band makes an appearance in this movie. Dickens, this one's for you. It has to, man. Yep. Favorite horror franchise, my favorite band. Just got to make an appearance. Yeah. Yep. What's um, the song? Help Myself. Help Myself? Yep. What album does that come off of? I would say Crash. Yeah, that, seem, that sounds about right. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something I never even noticed until probably a few years ago. I, I think I was on Google looking up, like, which movies is a Dave Matthews band song in obviously Joe dirt, Mr. Deeds. And then there's a, some other stuff I've never heard of. And then it said scream two. And I said, what? I said, I haven't heard ants marching or anything in scream two. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's uh, it's helped myself, but that's not really the song that I, I play a lot, but there's also uh, it's in Dave Matthews is in lady bird. Which is a coming of age movie that came out around two thousand seventeen. Which song was it? Do you remember? Crash into me. Oh really? Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, uh, which sounds about right considering where the movie is taking place. Which is funny because you know who's in that, don't you? Mm-mm. Uh, Lori Metcalf. She plays the mom in that movie. Oh really? Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, CC getting attacked by Ghostface. Um, what do you think of this? This obvious. It's a. It's a kill. This is the first phone call we get in the movie. I think it's definitely Mickey. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, especially the way he's moving throughout the house and stuff. And um, well, the way he chunks her over the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the, the balcony. balcony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, this is definitely up there regarding regarding kills across the franchise, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, this is awesome from the start of it to the end of it. Um, the way – I mean, it's – it has those Casey Becker vibes. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's messing with her on the phone and breaking her down to where she's just scared and helpless and don't know what to do. And um, – I thought it was very cool when you see Ghostface come through the door. Yep, when you see him slide right through the door yep. as man. they're talk, as uh, her and her roommate are talking. Still to this day, when I watch that man, it gives me chills. Mm-hmm. Because when he when he first calls, you always assume that he's already inside. Mm-hmm. And there's even noise upstairs. And this dude was outside the whole time, and then he says, "Don't forget to set the alarm." Yeah, he he heard everything that CC and her friend were talking about. Um, just a, a very iconic ten or fifteen minutes, however long the the scene goes for. Yeah, the direction in, in this scene, I think, is perfect. You know, yep. it, it's it's perfectly set up. It's perfect. You can tell this is done by a director that knows what he's doing. You know, like mm-hmm. Wes Craven to me is the greatest horror director followed by, and this is probably controversial, but James, James Wan and James Wan, I think it could do something like this could set a stage like this. Uh, and, and, and Wes Craven does it perfectly here and illustrates why he is the greatest horror director. Again, the, I think he's the greatest horror director ever. Uh, the biggest enemy to Ghostface is furniture. That's the biggest takeaway. <laughs> Just clumsily falling. As someone who has worn a Ghostface uh, costume several times, it's doable. It's hard to see while you're wearing that stuff. Uh, the stabs are incredibly violent to CC, you know, it's not many, but they're, they're very impactful. It's like two stabs to the back. And then he just throws her off the balcony. Mm-hmm. Like it's intense. Um, and the shot of her just laying on her back, um, as he just cleans the light off is, is graphic, you know, it's not close up, but it doesn't need to be, you know, there were there, that would be, I, I would think that would be probably too much. Just, graphic violence i mean you could have had it and it would have been impactful but you had all you needed right there you know mm-hmm. and again that's why west craven is so good yep the mixer the mixer i think uh i think i might have one on you on this one man oh I'm, really what you but, what you got um did you know at the mixer that matthew lillard is in the scene Really? Mm-hmm. Where is he at? Um, he has blonde hair, and is, he's it's very vague, but it mentions it in the one of the documentaries um, that uh, he was the day they were filming that scene. He was just on set hanging out with everybody, and uh, I think Wes or somebody was like, "Hey, you want to be like an extra in one of the scenes?" And I don't know if his hair was already dyed, but he literally has beach blonde hair. 
It's and probably for Wing Commander, that movie that you did with Freddie Prince Jr. Really? Um, but yeah, if you if you pause it, um, you can see him in in one of, one of the backgrounds when Mickey and Randy are talking. I'll have to go back and watch that. Now I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the mixer is definitely a, a really cool scene, man. Um, you know, it's definitely those college vibes. You know. They are constantly dunking on Greek Greek life in this movie, and oh in this in this scene particular in particular, I I love seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> and and they even they even uh, paint Randy as a red herring because he yeah. shows up after after Cece's, uh scene, and Sydney goes, "What took you so long to get here?" And he kind of just shrugged his shoulders. Yeah, and they paint him as that. And then, of course, you get the the comments of Empire Strikes Back from Randy to uh, oh my god, we're gonna Derek or it's not Derek. Uh, it's Mickey. What's his name? Mickey, thank you. Yeah. Um, not being a sequel and being totally planned. I think that hasn't aged well. Uh, as a Star Wars fan, it's. You know, it is 100% a sequel, and the original trilogy changed its plans throughout production, contrary to popular belief. Um, also, the Ewoks are awesome and uh, don't intend, in, indeed, blow, as uh, Mickey would say or suggest. Um, but I, I liked this sequence because it sets up a lot of things. Like you think that Randy might could possibly, like you alluded to, could possibly be the killer. I love the dunking on on Greek life that this movie does, especially in this sequence. It's great. Uh, honestly, I joke around, but this should have been the first indicator that Mickey was the killer, considering he didn't like Ewoks. Yeah. You're not a Star Wars guy, so you don't know. <laughs> um, Mickey trying to calm down Sydney at the police station. I'm very glad you mentioned this. Um, for a while, I never really understood what he said um, until I started turning the subtitles on and reading. And he definitely portrays Derek as the killer. Saying why, saying, why would he go back in that house anyway? I mean, what's the point of going back in the house if you're already out? And you yeah. see Sydney's eyes get big and the music in the background. Like, she's thinking, like, oh, my gosh, is this is history repeating itself? Um, you know, because there's been two killers before, and Billy was supposedly died and screamed by the killer, and he come back to life, so... I think it's a very good scene and one that matters, in my opinion. Yeah, because he, he starts the you know the red herring of Derry being a killer. It's kind of like the the whole devil on the shoulder idea, you know. And from and then, that and from that point on, everything that he did, I mean, Sydney kind of questioned, and she said, "You need to keep your distance from me." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mickey planted that seed, and we know now that Mickey was the killer, and. um he does a very good job with that. And like I said, I think that that scene, although very quick, it's a huge scene for the film altogether. 
completely agree. Uh, Tori Spelling as Sydney and, and Stab and Luke Wilson as Billy. So this is kind of a cutaway. Uh, it's so funny and it's a great callback to the first movie. And because <laughs> Sydney goes, uh, any luck, knowing my luck, I, Tori Spelling would be cast as me because she was like super old for, you know, to be a high school student in Beverly Hills 91210. Mm hmm. And knowing that she's playing her is it's just funny. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I literally think Wes did this to make the audience laugh. Because if you watch it, it and it see worked. if you watch how Luke Wilson reacts in that scene, <laughs> you could tell you could tell he's purposely sucking. <laughs> which <laughs> makes it good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and the hair too is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Oh. Uh, Randy and Dewey going over the rules of the sequel. So this this is kind of the same sequence, but it's a little different because they're watching that interview take place on the TV, and then they go over the sequels. And this is to me, this is this is just so much fun. Their conversation is the same conversation we're having as an audience, you know, plus the comments about the freaky Tarantino stu student is perfect because there are so many freaky Tarantino students <laughs> that still exist today. Mm -hmm. uh, plus the comment about the, uh, I just, I honestly, I just, I just love the back and forth. It's, it's just very meta and, but it's done in a very smart way. It's not, you know, in, in any way overbearing, in a hey look at us we're cool kind of way which is a lot of what comes out today where it's it, you can you can see it's trying very very hard to appeal to an audience this is appealing to an audience but it's not trying so hard to it's just being in its natural state you know what i mean yeah i agree um just another scene that's very interesting and um you said it's very meta it's very funny but in some aspects it gets kind of kind of chilling um because they're they're trying to figure out who the who the killer could be and then they start questioning each other like i mean what if it is you though like don't try to like don't rule yourself out yeah um and he's like, don't rule yourself out either i mean i'm if i'm a suspect you're a suspect kind of thing um so they kind of turn on each other for a split second there and get back on track and even accuse Gail. And, um, but one thing that's funny is I've always viewed Dewey as Ross from friends. They act, <laughs> they act the same way. He says, at least uh, he says, at least you have David Schwimmer playing you and stab. And, uh, which is funny too, because you know, Courtney Cox is, uh, is the sister of, David Schwimmer and friends. Mm -hmm. And then they also make a joke about Jennifer Anderson later in the film. So there's a lot of friends connection there. Um, friends meaning the TV show. And um, but yeah, another scene that I think it's very, very worthy and um, funny and even chilling in a way. Yeah. Well, it's a similar sequence to the same, sequence or similar sequence that we had in the first scream where he talks about 
uh, in the blockbuster store, everyone is a suspect, you know, it's, it's very similar to that. I think it's a little bit better in my opinion. Um, and, and honestly it can be played in a trailer too. This would be like the perfect teaser. You can edit it to where it could be like the perfect teaser. I 100% agree with that. Spot on. And that's something that really, and I know that Kevin Williamson wasn't a part of the third one, but they started drifting away from that in a sense, um, especially between the main cast. They kind of revisited again in Scream 4, and I hope they do it in the new Scream as um, the, the person who's smart, movie smart and knows about this stuff, um, sitting down and questioning, okay, well, who, ideally, who could it really be? Um, and they, they don't do that in, in the new Scream, uh, Scream 3. Um, but then they have that scene in Scream 4 where they're in the classroom in the, in the film class and Sydney and Gail come and um, talk to him about all that stuff. But yeah, definitely, definitely something that could be used in a trailer that wouldn't be too much of a giveaway on what the, the whole movie would be about. It's just kind of setting that stage. So, yeah. So the play sequence is the next one I have. And, the reason I, this might not be like a, a big scene or anything like that. It's not super revealing, but to, to me, this was the scariest and most intense scene when I first saw it. This was a scene that gave me nightmares. It's just, you know, the sound of all the disembodied voices that kind of creeped me out. Plus the flashes of Ghostface and him blending in was just unnerving to me. Tell me, old Cassandra. <laughs> It's so weird, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. as a kid, when I was watching this one, I was like 10 or 11. I was creeped out. Like, not by yeah. the killings, but like by that. The the sound of the disembodied voices. Mm-hmm. It freaked me out. And something that I've, I've read before, and I don't know if it's never been confirmed, is you can, you can view that in two ways that it actually happened and no one just happened to see that there was a person with, with the ghost face mask on. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of it, which is what I read that Sydney was just envisioning this or dreaming about this and just seeing things that are, that it wasn't really there. And I, I don't know how, how true that is. Um, but something that you can always think about, what are your takes on that? I could see that because, you know, she clearly has PTSD from the, the first movie. So it, it's, you know, I, I, I could see that being a thing. Yeah. Um, Ghostface stalks Gale. And Dewey and Randy. So, you know, to, to me, I think this is definitely Mrs. Loomis, right? It has to be. Well, she even admits it. Saying, yeah, she admits it in the in, in the finale that um, she went knife heavy on him. So yeah. she confirms that it was her. 
you know, and I just love the whole let's see if we can find him bit. Is it's to me, it's a rather intense, but why didn't they just stick together to do it? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know why Randy just didn't stay put. It's not like, yeah, it's not like Miss Loomis or Ghostface is going to come out there and do it for everybody, which she still kind of did. I mean, how did nobody see this dude get yanked into a van um, with with all that force? Um, but this is another scene that is really cool. And like I said, it just keeps on building and building. Um, from the opening scene to CC to this, um, these kills and, and, and Scream 2 are brutal, man. Really brutal. More than Scream, which is why I think it ranks up there with one of the better ones. Um, yeah. Well, like I think it, it means something that we're attached to the character, but like as well as, you know, like the way that like you, the sounds of him getting stabbed, you know, like the, 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 the guttural noises that he's making. It, it's, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. If you take Randy out of that scene and replace it with, uh, let's just say it was Joel. Is it really as, as iconic as it is right now with Randy in it? No, I don't think so either. I think Randy made this. Yeah. Um, I think, although, yeah, everyone says, I wish Randy wouldn't have died, but he was the perfect person for that scene. Mm-hmm. Nobody else could have done it better. Um, he he goes off on the last 60 seconds of the phone call and just goes full-blown Randy on on the killer. Yep. You, you want to be one of the big boys, Manson, yeah. OJ? And well, then just- once you set your goals higher, huh? Because he yanked as soon as he says that and then gets pulled in and it's it's graphic and they don't show it, which apparently there was a cut of the movie where you do see him get his throat slashed. Um and he showed that to the MPAA. Um, but he took it out because he didn't want it. And you don't really need it. All you have to do is hear it. Yep. Uh, that's that's the scene where you can honestly leave it as it is and always think about it. Like what, what, what did it actually look like? Can, and I can't imagine Randy's view from it. I mean, looking up completely helpless laying on your back and there's a freaking dude above you. What ended up being a female, um, with a knife, just gutting your stomach and slicing your throat. That's gotta be a horrific way to go out. Um, but, um, and you know, Randy takes a dump on uh, Stu and Billy's name, and just saying how bad of bad of people they were. In a way, like the, the, they think they were these big bad killers, and yeah, they might have been, but they still sucked. Um, that's yeah. why. He, that's why he mentions you're going to be one of the big boys. Um, set your goals higher, and it ended up being Billy's mom. And that's why she says he went a little knife heavy. Well, yeah, she went knife heavy because he brought Billy into it. Yep. And that's, yep. I mean, that just, I just love how well that was written in the dialogue there. Because, I mean, if you think about it, 
that's probably a top five scene across the franchise. And and again, it's Rain, up there. Yeah, I mean anybody else. I mean maybe Dewey or Gale, but Randy I think was perfectly cast for that specific. I mean Rain, Randy was in Scream for that for that scene right there. Mm-hmm. Well, Nobody like else. you you get Mrs. Loomis, you know, playing on him, saying you'll never be the main guy. You'll you'll always be mm-hmm. the second fiddle. And then you get him jabbing back, not realizing he's actually jabbing back. Um, with the Billy Loomis comments, and you know he gets got, and it is one of the most horrific and iconic kills in the movie because you don't really see anything, but it's also, I think, by and large, most fans of the original Scream were huge fans of that character because he represented an audience. And then when he got got, it felt personal. It felt very real to the audience that it brings them back to reality saying, no, 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 we're not going to play by original tropes. He's not going to survive. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. I think, I think this is probably up there with the first kill in the movie, the most brutal. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Co- uh, Cotton talking to Sydney That's in the amazing. library? Yeah, I mean, it just keeps building. I mean, just like I, just like I said previously, um, very good dialogue. You know, you, you know, Cotton's fresh off having his name wiped clean and um, <clears throat> having his name off the the murder of Sydney's mom and being set free, and now he wants to get his name back to a even higher of what it was. And um, he feels like Sydney owes him that debt. And uh, you could tell Sydney doesn't want to be a part of it. She's very, um, she's very sorry towards Cotton, but she doesn't want to get involved. Um, But um, definitely a scene that turns from Interesting to chilling in a matter of seconds. Yeah, because he comes across as like desperate mm-hmm. and it's also kind of like the perfect red herring. Because even down to the shoes that I mentioned earlier, you know, there's that shot of his shoes. He's wearing black mm-hmm. boots. So maybe you're kind of second guessing, okay, maybe he's the killer like this time. Yep. It's just very intense in the way that he tries to intimidate Sydney too. Yeah. Like he's all up in her face. Yeah, and that's a that's a credit to to Liv Schreiber, whatever his name is. Um, when he starts walking down those stairs, looking down on Sydney, and she just gets really terrified. Yeah, and rightfully so. He's a big man, so yeah. like very very good scene. Yeah. Um, Ghostface haunt, uh, hunts Dewey and Gale. This is again definitely Mrs. Loomis. Uh, I just I just think it's it's a you know very nice uh, uh, staging of direction. Lots of really cool creative sets like you know the sound booth, and again it. Furniture is always number one antagonist against Ghostface. He's always tripping, or she's always tripping over something. 
Seriously, man. But the death of Dewey, I'm doing that thing with my fingers, the death of Dewey is very intense. It's sad because, you know, with the soundproof glass in between them, you just see him getting stabbed in the back, coughing out blood. She barely hears him the first time, you know, when he's screaming. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the intensity of Ghostface trying to break through the glass is fantastic. And the way that uh, Gail just kind of cowers in the corner, which, I mean, I would too. I mean, my God. Well, so like this, this scene of when they first see Ghostface up in the uh, booth and to all the way to when Dewey supposedly dies, um, you know, Gail is constantly on the run. And th- that's a scene that used to scare me when I was younger. Because imagine being in her predicament running from Ghostface and you don't really have a lot of options to go. You're kind of stuck in a building and stuck on a floor navigating through different rooms of which you don't know how to navigate through. And that's just, I don't know, that's very chilling to me and uh, terrifying that she had to be quiet and um, navigate through this, I mean, maze almost, if you will. And then um, to finally get locked in that uh, soundproof room where he couldn't get her. And then to have Dewey come in to supposedly save the day and and to get his his back sliced open. It's yeah. very, very horrific and sad. I mean, because who doesn't love Deputy Dewey? We all love Dewey. Dewey is... is I like him better than Gale. I know that's not popular, but I do like him better than Gale. I think it's because he's more likable. Yeah. Um, the car crash and the murders that happens via the car crash. Um, so the cop would definitely shoot in this situation, right? Yeah, this is where it kind of took a turn for me. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the scene all that much. Like the, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. The, like the cop would have shot him at that point. And I, for me, the thing that, that makes the sequence is the pipe through the face. Cause that's incredibly gnarly. Oh yeah. But also the crawl over ghost face is so well set up. It's not done in a very stupid for a stupid reason. It's legit. It's the only way they can get out. Uh, it's very intense. You know, the will she won't she of will she take off the mask is very, you know, white knuckle. Like you're, you're just gripping the seat, you know, not knowing what she'll do. Um, and watching this at like nine or 10 years old was, was rough, you know? <laughs> um, and, but to me, the cop's gun is right there. Why not just shoot him and both his legs, you know, maybe not killing him, but you're at least making him not being able to run. And you can take off his mask yeah. And see who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a scene that I think they kind of dropped the ball in a little bit. But, I mean, you can only do so much. But I've always thought that he was awake. Because this is definitely Mickey. Oh, yeah, this is 100% um, Mickey. Yeah, because um, you see the cut on his head later in, when he's revealed uh, from the crash. And um, I've always thought that he was awake. 
and knew they were crawling over him because he probably didn't want them to die that way, especially not Sydney. You know, he wants that final reveal and mm-hmm. um, that he could see his face before she dies. And um, so I always thought that he was awake and just letting them letting them get out, and then sneaking around to end up killing poor Hallie. Yep, she gets she gets got in a very conventional way, um, which I have questions about. How did they not notice Ghostface get out? Yeah, of the vehicle. <clears throat> they dropped the ball on that for sure. Yeah, there were some directional choices there that weren't great, but overall the. The thrill of her getting over Ghostface in the car is pretty intense. Yeah. Which and it's worth worth which, um, Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, even watching to this day, I still get kind of like really like tensed up when they're crawling over him because like, which which is why I still think he he was awake the whole time because they bump into him, they rip that chain off the back of the car, which is super loud. They hit, they hit the horn in the car, and then she's almost going for the mask. So I think he was letting them do this, and the fact that when as, as soon as they got out and started running, he just magically had, had woken up and was able to escape. I think he was awake the whole time and waited for them to get out of the car and then secretly snuck away. But um, the fact that they didn't see it or hear him get out is a little undermining. Um, they could have done that scene a little bit better, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Still love the scene, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, the, the freaking pipe, man, that when it goes through the cops' the skull. When it goes through his face. Oh. Insane. Yeah. All right. Um, the final scene, or the finale, and the reveal. So there's a lot that happens in this sequence, Dickens. The whole theater setting is, I think it's great. I agree 100%. Yeah. Mickey being revealed as the killer, I think is really good, especially in a rewatch. Uh, him trying to pin Derek as the accomplice is, is it's nerve wracking because at this, you you're thinking back constantly to the first one and you think, he's already a prime suspect, but you know, to the bitter end, he's not. And it, you know, it also plays on Sydney's insecurities and, you know, she again makes the wrong call. Like she did the Mm -hmm. first one, you know, that's what makes Sydney great as a character, despite how great she is. She's kind of a poor judge of character, whether it's Mm -hmm. falsely accusing cotton being wrong, you know, getting Billy wrong or just, you know, not knowing who to trust, you know, she has real trust issues. And again, that's what makes her great. That's what makes her relatable. She's very real and relatable, you know, not just your stereotypical hero or hero. That's perfect. You know, she's not perfect. And Mickey, you know, blaming cinema on violence for his trial really begs the question. Is it, cinema violence that causes this or is it you know media's glorification and constant reporting every single little detail that does it is it our social problem i really like that twist you know because the constant even with a movie that came out like not that long ago joker you saw people scared that there was going to be a shooting in a theater 
that didn't happen ever. It's because, you know, movies don't really cause violence. It's very rare that they do. Or very rare that you hear that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that that twist. And I love Sydney fighting, you know, back. You know, when when um, Mickey is coming at her, that you know, that's what makes her awesome. She fights back, you know, because she's a fighter. And Mrs. Loomis comes in as the real brains behind the operation. I think that's great because it's a real homage to the uh, Friday the 13th original mm-hmm. film. And I think Laurie Metcalf is awesome in this sequence. Not as good as Stu, but she's very good. She's hamming it up in a similar way. Yep. She's devilishly over the top. And it's great. Um, her plan is also very straightforward. She just wants revenge. Uh, and I, I love how she's blaming others on her son's actions too, not, you know, taking responsibility and Sydney gets her with that. And it's, it's quite, it's quite an awesome takedown. And of course, you know, const, uh, cotton at the end of this sequence is still an asshole. You know, he only says Sydney if she does the interview. do do the interview with diet sawyer and i'll i'll save your life and it's consider it done (laughs) he's such an asshole he's dick and the fake out of mickey coming back is great he pops up which timothy elephant's awesome pops up and then gets just shot to death literally and 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 he gets shot and flies through the air (laughs) yeah it's so on. dramatic yeah um, um what do you think of the finale and reveal does it live up to the first movie well nothing will beat the first one man no, um, that 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 first that first, first one, yeah the, the first one the kitchen scene is um will always be iconic i hope they can in the new one they can really do that again because it's, it's great um but this one's great too. Um, you said it first. Uh, first uh, sentence: the theater is the perfect setup. Um, Mickey's a film student. Um, Sydney's doing um, is doing acting now. Um, it's just a very good stage. The spotlight is on them. Um, so that that aspect of it, I like a little bit. Again, um, I thought they could have done a little bit more on Mickey's character. Um, but on the flip side of it, you, you kind of forget about Mickey midway through the movie because he kind of disappears for a while that final night. And then he ends up being um, the accomplice of Miss, Mrs. Loomis. Um, but... Um, I will say that when Mrs. Loomis comes in the picture, um, Laurie Metcalf and reveals herself and ends up shooting Mickey and saying, you know, the poor boy lost his mind. There's no way he'd get away with this. Yeah. I'm going to pin it all on him. I'm only doing this for revenge of my son and that's it. Um, but after that, you see Mrs. Loomis become more vulnerable because Sydney is fighting back and kind of tests her 
And you could tell that Miss Loomis has never done anything like this before. She's not a true killer because she's falling down. She doesn't know what to do. She's shooting the gun and kind of missing things. Um, so there's some stuff I like about this this finale. Some stuff I don't. Like I said, I really love what they did with Derek and kind of portraying him as a potential killer for the ending, um, how our reality repeats itself and, um, Sydney showing poor judgment thinking here's my boyfriend again, trying to kill me. And then in a, in a split second after Derek defends himself, you see Mickey blast one right in his chest. Yeah. Um, which is, which is just intense, man. Yeah. That had to freaking hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I mean, he was already, he was already pretty ranting up as it was. I mean, he was screaming at Mickey, so you know he was like in that tense yeah. position and just, poof, I mean, just so. Right yeah, I mean that. So that was pretty cool. But um, and then all the stuff with Cotton when he comes into the picture, because you kind of forget about Cotton a little bit too. Yep. I went through his whole finale, and then here comes Cotton in to save the day, and um, st- still kind of is Cotton. When, well, because like, at first you think he might be one of the killers because he, you know, um, Gail sees him. He has blood all over his hands from helping Dewey. Yep. And she says, the killer is cotton fucking weary. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> uh, Salt goes, cotton weary. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, overall, I mean... I give it you know, three point three point five out of five stars on the finale. Still doesn't touch the original uh, finale, no. but I think it's definitely the second one, second yeah. best one. Same. Um. Well, once we get at the fourth one, if I remember correctly, I really love the reveal of the fourth one with uh, what we get there. But uh, well, let's move on to the last sequence we have, and that's Dewey being alive. I love the well way that. You know, Gail decides to stay with him. It's so sweet. Instead of doing the interview, oh, just, yeah, yeah, she changes her mind. I'm going with you. And he's like, "Oh, Gail," because he's high off the. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I definitely thought he was done. Um, even watching it now, I mean, I still think he's he's not coming back. But they're not gonna. I mean, Dewey's Dewey's the guy. He's gonna bring in that audience. So, why not? Why not save him again? Yeah, I think he <laughs> I, might bite it in this new one, though. That's just. I, I think one of them, or I don't know which one. Is either gonna be Gail or Dewey, in my opinion? I think, I think it'll be him and Gail. But really, yeah. But out of all these sequences, which one's your favorite? You talking about just the finale or the whole movie? Just the whole movie. Which one's your favorite scene or moment? I'm going to have to go with Randy's, man. I think I'm going to have to agree with you. At first, I was leaning towards the opening sequence, but then the more me and you were talking about it, the more I was starting to realize, yeah, this this is always the scene that I go back to as being the most kind of impactful and shocking. Yeah, and again, if you take Randy out of that scene and deal with anybody else, even, even I think... Um, Gail and Dewey, I just don't think it'd be the same. I think Randy makes that 
and his dialogue in that scene um, is what makes it stand out. Um, so yeah, I'll go with that one. Randy's Randy's iconic death. Yep, I'm gonna agree with you. But let's move on to worst scenes and moments. Only have three listed here, and they all have a very similar theme, and it's always Sydney and Derek sequences. So number one is Sydney trying to distance herself from Derek the first time. He just comes off as such a goof, and he can't really take the hint. He's very like, I don't know, like adamant about being by her side and everything like that, which I get, but like, it's almost from a defensive. He's coming off from kind of a defensive point of view. I just don't think it's very well written. This sequence. Yeah. Um, you know, there's I think there's two scenes of it where she's trying to distance herself. Are you talking about when they're in like the courtyard or when they're the court, in the the courtyard? And I have courtyard. both of them here, and we can talk okay. about both of them. Like Sydney breaks up with, she seemingly breaks up with Derek after the the play scene, right? Yeah, gotcha. And it's just a repeat of what we saw before with slightly better writing, yeah, but still not great. Right. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I feel like they could have put a little bit more into that and made it a little bit more. I want to say real. It just seemed kind of corny and um, rushed. And, um, like, I, like I get it. They're trying to paint a red herring on Derek and um, you know, he's the boyfriend, but. Yeah, um, something about that just doesn't stick. Yeah, it, it, it comes off not as well as it, it should, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have, because we've already talked about those two together, uh, the cafeteria song. I just think it's so dumb. Also, I don't think Sydney as a character would appreciate that. All that attention all on her at once. Yeah. And is giving away Greek letters a thing? I, I don't know. I'm, I've, I've never been a frat guy. Neither have I. I mean, it, it could be. I've never heard of it before. I don't even know you, you get a necklace with letters on it. Um, it probably could have been a thing back in, back the, 90s. in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. It was kind of an unnecessary scene. Yeah. I view it as, I view it as a filler scene. Yeah. Um, out of all these sequences, unless you have any more to add, which one's your least favorite? Um, let's see. I'll tell you another stuff that I like. I know it's kind of away from what you said, but. I really like the scenes right after they all find out about the killings and Dewey shows up and Gail shows up on, on campuses and they're doing all the interviews and introduce Cotton again. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very underrated scene. That's a, that's a lot of good dialogue through there. There are some good bits of dialogue. I love the, the Gail and uh, uh, Mrs. Loomis exchange. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, it's pretty good. Made the cut for me. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it got cut, but it, it was very close to making the cut. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the cafeteria song, though, man. I think that's the most 
irrelevant. I think I love you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the most irrelevant part of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I'm gonna agree with you. Uh, best performance. So you got Jamie Kennedy, man. He is great. He is great. Go on. I'll let you talk about this one. Jamie Kennedy um, reprises his role as uh, Randy. Is it Randy Weeks or Randy Meeks? Meeks. Randy Meeks. Um, reprises his role in Scream 2. And um, he did an iconic job in the first one. You know, he's the movie guru. Um, he informs of all the people on what we need to do to survive a horror film. And, but the second one, man, he just hits a home run and he's only in it half the movie. Yeah. He's, he's really, really good in this. Yeah. And I lean a little bit toward, I, I was thinking about putting him there, but I lean a little bit more towards Neff Campbell. I think she's tremendous in this. I think this is, I think Neff Campbell is her best, her best one with Scream 2. Yeah, I think in in general her best performance is in Scream Two. Um, I think she's terrific here because again her character gets the most to work with. I think. Yeah. And I think Nev Campbell does a terrific job playing her. Again, I I love the way that Sydney Prescott is written. She is you know this very real, relatable, and vulnerable character that isn't a cliche of horror tropes despite again being vulnerable and i think that's what makes her relatable i think that's what makes her one of the the best in my opinion the best um horror protagonist we've ever had she's just tremendous and nev campbell plays it up to a t um moving on to the does this make sense award Despite the things that we've already talked about, I have three more things. How is Gail still working at a local news station after writing the book and then selling the rights to make the movie? Shouldn't she be worth like millions of dollars at this point? She's Gail Weathers, man. She's she Gail Weathers. But she if should be in, worth a lot of money at this point. Yeah, and I think that um, goes away after Scream 2. Because um, as you see in Scream Three, she's doing like events now and you know talking to large groups of people about her success. Scream Four, you could tell she's not doing anything anymore. She's kind of lost her mojo. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't know what to write about. I think she still did the local news, or um, at least came back to do it because she wants to be involved in the murders. She wants a story to talk about. Do you think that she like maybe got a big head and then maybe made a couple of bad deals and that's why she's stuck in that position? Could be. I could see that happening. I I could see that being a thing for her. But yeah, I mean, if you know she wrote um, about the Maureen Prescott. Marie Prescott stuff, and then she had the Woods, Woodsboro murders, and they made a movie after it. You know, she should be fairly wealthy, but um, I think it just came back to what she loved to do was be a news reporter and report the news. Yeah. 
Um, could be, could be it. Uh, why would Sydney answer the phone when she's about to leave the house? Like, oh man, I I do I love the you know show your face your cower comment, mm-hmm. but why would she as soon as she's walking out the door answer the phone? It, no, if I'm walking out the door, I'm not answering the phone. I'm sorry, especially, especially if it's not your house. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. who, who do you think this was? Do you think it was Mickey or do you think it was Mrs. Loomis? Mrs. Loomis. Think so. Yeah. I think it was Mrs. Loomis. I don't know. I don't know who it could have been because um, the whole party left and Mickey was there and ran and to got, Cece's house. He got interrogated too. So yeah. I, I'm thinking it was I'm thinking it was Mrs. Loomis. That means Mrs. Loomis took a straight shot because she ran right into that lamp and fell down. <laughs> Yep. Well, um, again, she was doing that in the uh, the recording studio as well, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say again, the show your face, your coward moment. I, I love because Sydney is a boss, and I, and I just love her character so much for that. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a pretty cool scene. I think that's in the trailer too. Mm-hmm. You know, won't you show your face, you effing coward? Yeah. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. My pleasure. Yeah, that's great. How is Dewey involved with the police investigation slash being allowed to? Like, I get he had, like, some, well, he had a lot to do with the first, but this one makes no sense because it's not like he's the head of police at where he's from and he's still injured. Like, in this movie, he has, like, a limp and everything like that because of a severed nerve. So, like, it's weird how he's being allowed. It kind of calls back to the original script, which is where he was campus police. He was head of campus police. Yeah. Um, I think they might have gave him an exception because he was involved in the first ones and just wants to protect Sydney. And, um, but, yeah, I mean... As, as soon as the movie starts, I mean, they let Gail and Dewey hop right in there with all the police stuff and hash it out with them. I, I, but I guess they somewhat needed them because they've been through it before. So I don't know. But out of all these, which one makes the less sense to you? Um, just out of these three. Yeah. I could tell you that I wouldn't have done what Sydney did. I mean, I definitely wouldn't answer the phone. I would have walked right out the door. But yep. um, ideal, ideally, number three wouldn't be a thing. I mean, it don't matter if you're a cop in California. They're not going to let you come into an investigation and know everything about it in a different state. So um, I'll say number three. Yeah, I'm going to probably go with number two, but... I'm also bordering on number three as well. We'll split hairs on that one. All right. And who do you think is the MVP of this movie? Could be something that happens in the movie. Could be anything. Could it be MVP as in like a a person or? It it could be anything. Like what's the thing that sticks out to you the most about this movie? Um, 
they don't steer far from the first one, which I love. Um, there's a few different things. Obviously, they're in high school in the first one, college in the second one. Um, but I'm going to go the writing and the directing. I think without the writing and, and the directing, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same as as we can attest to Scream Three with Kevin Williamson not writing it. Um, you could definitely tell there's a missing piece there. Um, so that, and that's why I'm interested to see the new one with it not having Wes or Kevin on board. Yeah, yeah, Kevin's on board as a executive producer, but he's not writing Scream anymore. So, um, but I definitely think that stands out in these first two is Wes and Kevin and their vision of what they want this to look like. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's, I'm similar to you. I think, I think the MVP of this movie is, is Wes Craven in the sense of, and, and also Kevin Williamson, considering what they had to do and what they had to juggle with their production going forward with the script being leaked and then them having to revise on the fly, almost it appears as they're moving along a production and how good this movie is in the comparison to how bad it could have been, you know, and it's, it's shocking that this movie is as good as it is considering it had a year turnaround, you know, like just a one year turnaround and they were able to put it out. And a lot of that rests on the shoulders of the director and he's the leader of their production. And if the movie's good, he gets a lot of the praise. If the movie's bad, he gets a lot of the bad praise. Um, so, or bad press, I should say, not praise. Um, and clearly I thought this movie was terrific, you know, so I think it's going to go to rest Craven, but why at the end of the day, would you recommend this movie Dickens? Well, if you're a fan of four, you're a fan of slashers, you can get nothing better or better yeah. sequel. Um, obviously, if you're going to watch this, I would watch Scream first. Because um, if you watch Scream 2 first, like I did, you're going to uh, spoil the first one. Um, so definitely watch them in order. Um, but it's just a good time, man. It takes you on a, on a ride. Uh, just even watch it to this day, and I know you'll agree with me. I mean... Every time I watch it, it's still good. It never gets old. Yeah, man. This this movie has a lot of great things about it. And like I said, it never gets old. But it succeeds where a lot of horror sequels fail. And that it, it succeeds in being a really good movie that adds to the first one rather than, than detract from it. And builds upon the lore and is a worthy sequel to the original. Absolutely. So if you've seen the first one, I highly recommend the second one because it is probably the second best out of the Scream franchise so far. So far. Um, I'm hoping this new one's going to be up there. Me too, man. Me too. But that is it for this week's show. Uh, Dickens, thanks for joining me, man. Always a pleasure, Ben. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with uh, Scream 3, and I'm hoping that I think high, higher of that one than I, than I normally do. Because that one's the, the one that I have the hardest time sitting all the way through. Um, but 
until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, rate us, and while you're at it, give us a follow over on Instagram and TikTok at Ben Davis Movie Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest content I have for you guys. But until next time, stay classy. <laughs>